Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Money and Politics in Delaware. Robert Fry, Robert Fry Economics. All right, bud, you got your speed cap on. We're going to do these in two minutes or less. You ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Interest rates, but I got to tease it a little bit. As we did in the first segment, I remind everybody we tape on Friday air on Saturday, Thursday night, Friday morning, depending on where you're at in this uh, world we live in. Interest rates, the 10-year these days, arguably the benchmark, the 10-year hit around 150. A couple weeks ago, it was around two. The 30-year is around Two, gosh, a couple years ago, it breached intraday that 2%. But gosh, you had to go back to the 1960s to find something below 2%. Interest rates are down, down, down. It's a couple-week phenomenon. Robert Fry, what do you say? Well, this all has happened since the news of the coronavirus in China. So I think it's uh, it's related to that. Um, my my dad was a dairy farmer. He grew up in his uh, initial days before they had tractors. So he grew up with horses. And he used to talk about how dumb horses were and that whenever something bad happens and they were scared, they were run into the barn. And even if what was scaring them was that the barn was on fire, they would run into the barn. Well, the barn in the global economy or the global financial markets is uh, U.S. Treasury, Treasury securities. So whenever there's anything wrong in the world, money rushes into U.S. Treasury securities, and that pushes interest rates down. Now, in this case, the problem is in China, so they're not running into the burning barn. But you know, when the financial crisis started in the U.S. back in 2007, 2008, they ran into the U.S. They ran into the barn. So, you know, the people in the, in the financial markets were acting as horses, not, not very smart. I, I think this is a total overreaction when I look at uh, the data on the, the coronavirus. Um, yes, it's spreading, but the death rate seems to be less than 3%, maybe a lot less than 3%, because we're adding new cases of the virus uh, faster than we're adding uh, deaths to the virus. Um, This compares to SARS, where one in 10 died, and MERS, where one in three died. Um, So I I think people may be overreacting here, um, because all of these drops in interest rates and the drop in the stock market comes since the virus was... uh, uh, China. Let's talk about China just a minute. Uh, our mutual friend Dennis O'Brien was last week's featured guest. Uh, Li Hu, the uh, vice premier of China, the famous picture of uh, Li Hu, the vice premier shaking Trump's hand. That's Dennis's buddy. Dennis has unique reach into China. I got to move this along, so I'm going to remind the audience, those that missed it, Uh, In China, you have 119 men ages 19 to 35 versus only 100 women. 
Birth rate is less than 1%. Demographics are destiny. It's ugly for China. The tremendous sucking sound. Businesses are leaving China in droves headed to Vietnam, Malaysia, and Indonesia, somewhere where it's more friendly. Hong Kong, Dennis had a fascinating stat, if I remember it right, 17 of the 19 uh, council members in Hong Kong were actually part of the protesters. Taiwan has told China to go pack sand. Wow, two world superpowers, one's imploding. What does Robert Fry say? Well, this coronavirus is really kicking China when it's already down. And uh, as Dennis pointed out, a lot of these problems started with the one-child policy, which uh, may have seemed like a good idea at the time from a very Malthusian approach to economics that we're going to start have mass starvation if we don't cut back on population growth. But they left the policy in effect too long, and people have gotten used to it, so they repealed the policy a few years ago, and birth rates have not risen at all since then. Um, replacement is 2.1 births per woman, and I think their birth rate is actually less than one. Um, so their population, uh, their working age population is already shrinking. Their total population peaks about 2026 and then heads down from there, probably um, down very quickly. Um, the, the biggest thing I took from Dennis's uh, remarks last week is he said that everyone's expecting the Chinese economy to at some point become the biggest in the world just because they have so many more people. And because of uh, this demographic turn where the population's going to decline, he says China will never be a bigger economy than the U.S. I thought that was uh, quite interesting. So you've got the demographic problem. You have a problem. They ran up huge government debt trying to fight the inevitable slowdown when the rest of the world was slowing down in the global financial crisis. They didn't, but they sort of uh, threw a lot of money at the problem to to prevent that. Uh, So they have a huge government debt, uh, and adding more to that government debt is getting them less and less in terms of growth. So they really can't do that. That's a problem. Um, I think they have a leadership problem as well. I've talked about this in in the past that um, President Xi seems to to um, use Mao Zedong as a um, as a role model when maybe he should be using Deng Xiaoping because uh, uh, Deng Xiaoping's economic policy certainly worked a lot better than Mao's. Um, Deng sort of glorified getting rich, and he allowed the private companies to to grow, and uh, and President Xi has moved back towards emphasis on state-owned enterprises and away from the private sector, and, you know, that's not going to work. And then President Trump's tariffs, I think, um, maybe didn't start, but certainly lent a lot of momentum to this move um, to Indonesia and, and Vietnam, and in some cases back to the U.S., moving supply chains out of China. That was already underway because Chinese wages uh, were growing, so were, companies were moving to, to lower wage places. So, yeah, things do not look good for China right now. They looked like they were having a slight cyclical bounce. The December numbers are really good, but then they get hit by the virus. So um, they're going to have that. Uh, the long-term secular trends in China, I think, are pretty negative. All right, let's try to slip one more in here. The headline of arguably this week, the trillion-dollar deficit seen for years, 
Quoting the Wall Street Journal, debt held by the public is projected to be 81% of GDP this year and to reach 98% by 2020. Stems from uh, tax cuts and projected increases in spending, especially uh, safety net programs as Medicare and Social Security. All right, my friend, you got two minutes. Debt, debt, and more debt. What do you say? Um, yeah, you've got two parties that do not want to do anything about uh, about government deficits and debt. You know, we've been scared that it was going to bite us since the early 80s, and it hasn't happened yet. So I think anybody who talks about debt and deficits is now sort of regarded as the boy who cried wolf and uh, not getting a lot of attention. Um, Republicans think they can just keep cutting taxes regardless of the debt and the deficit. Democrats have all these great spending programs that they want to spend money on, and uh, regardless of the debt and the deficit. Uh, I think our only hope is divided government, but that doesn't even work right now because uh, um, President Trump seems to be a a regular Republican when it comes to taxes, but when it comes to spending, he seems to be more in line with the Democrats. So uh, uh, we've had huge spending increases on top of a big tax cut, and uh, that's how you get to a trillion-dollar deficit. you got 20 seconds. Is it true... Between the Arab nations, Russia, and China, that that group that I just put together controls 66% of global oil reserves and 60% of global uh, gas reserves. 30 seconds. Yeah, well, most oil and gas reserves in the world are owned by governments. It's In the U.S., it's an exception where they're owned by the private sector. So this was done in the context of Greg Ipp's piece in the Wall Street Journal this week. A lot of people are arguing that, uh, that Quickly. oil and gas companies need to stop drilling, and that's what we need to do for climate change, and that's just a drop in the bucket. It's got to be done by government. It can't be done by oil companies or banks or investors. His name is Robert Fry, fascinating guy. Robert Fry Economics, he joins us the first of each month. You can find him online, and again, his, uh, he, uh, he has a subscription service. We'll see you back here next week. Greg Lavelle is next week. We'll see you next week for more money and politics in Delaware. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.